0: Putting put in the name right now. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if some film studios are like, we're going to hold our film back for a year because we. No. Because really. they've done that in the past. They've gone, it's such a clear indication that this person's going to win. Wow. Why risk it? My, uh, my bathroom light yeah. is made for horror movies. Right. Because it flickers on at least 15 times. <laughs> it's like flicker, and then it's off for a good like three seconds. You're yes. already in the room. Right. You've seen your reflection. Yes. And then you get another flick and mm. just like ready for like uh, you, an insidious yeah. level red faced man to like come behind you. Because you also have one of those horror movie bathroom uh, mirror cabinets. Mirror cabinets. That, that if you, you open, it, open it and then shut it, and someone's <laughs> in the reflection, reflection right? Yeah, Classic move. It's just ready for any sort of like cheap... Uh, yeah. you know, anything. Just like cheap a horror ge- movie. A cheap film. <laughs> yeah, a cheap yeah, film. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. for a cheap, horror film. cheap horror which Hopefully always that doesn't, doesn't happen. Uh, in no. But uh, yeah, it is a bit creepy. Maybe I should list it. Really bad light <laughs> ready also, for horror. You also have a very, it's such a like, horribly white strobe. Light, oh God, like, I hate like, it. Cold LED. Yes. You know, it's like an old fashioned, um, slightly like diffused plastic mm. frame. Yeah, James lives in an old building. Yeah, about building. I'd say this is about 100 years old. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. Based on zero knowledge of architecture, I'll go sure. <laughs> I'll go hard yes Just on that. <laughs> knock on the wall and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say. yeah. yeah so about about hundred. <laughs> yeah, that low bearing wall. Yeah, I think it's yeah. about hundred years old. Yeah, old and dusty. Yeah. Uh, speaking of my area, somebody who I've seen like two or three times now is Dominic Cooper. Oh yeah. And the reason I see Dominic Cooper is because he wear he's wearing these really big black sunglasses, right. probably to hide the fact that he's Dominic Cooper. Mm. But what happens is I see this man with really big black sunglasses on. I go in my head, those are some really big <laughs> black sunglasses. Those are interesting. I wonder like what's going on. And then I get closer, and I go, oh, that's cause it's Dominic yep. Cooper under there yep. <laughs> wearing really big black glasses. But you know, I like Dominic Cooper. Yeah, I, uh, I when I came out of uh, one of the screenings for the London Film Festival, which we'll talk about, mm. um, Ah, it was a beautiful sunny day, and I just left Leicester Square, and uh, Terry Gilliam walked right past oh, me, yeah. and he walked past me Sunday morning. He had nothing else with him; he just had his. He was just wearing clothes with no jacket, which I knew immediately meant that you clearly live about two minutes. Yes, from there, that's central, true. Central, central, like Soho It wasn't warm enough to no, be doing that. He no, was just, uh, he was just—he was clearly going to get some milk or something. Yeah, and I was like, "That's Terry Gilliam. God, um, we're living in Central Soho. That—that's." An interesting one. Yeah, but he's probably like lived there for, you know, in those old townhouses for, for years. That's oh, true. He's yeah, just, I was just like, wow, this is just such a different era. He's yeah. made his money in, in, in a different era as part of a different era thing. But also I was like, love London. You just, yeah. something some that does like, you just talked about Dominic Cooper. You just, oh, there you see go. See famous. I go to New York, I see Jesse Eisenberg, I go to London. I, I don't know what LA's me. like. Well, I mean, yeah, there you go, getting a smoothie somewhere. Have you been? And- no, I haven't. No, no, no. I haven't. Um, we'll go see Trevor if if, 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 yes. <laughs> if we ever go. A hundred percent. I also saw, sorry, when I came and out. I and I want to see your friend who's probably working their way through every film now. <laughs> please <laughs> yeah, please yeah, go yeah. back and listen if you yeah, haven't, you too. don't know this episode. It was uh, Trevor from LA met a person who had never seen any film due to certain circumstances of their upbringing. Yeah. And then he decided mm-hmm. to do an auction on social media of what <laughs> his first film should be. And we unpacked it on the show. What episode was it? Uh, oh goodness. Oh, I don't know, like tw- it's like 23 or something. Something like, like that. that, it's fantastic. Um, Also, when I came out of another screening, uh, I went to work and on my way to work, I walked past, you won't know who this is, but I walked past Joseph Quinn, who was like the breakout star of the most recent series of Stranger Things. Okay. Like... like, everyone loved him and like he was he was such a great presence in that whole show and i was oh, like cool and he had the English look guy of, yeah he's English yeah. and he had that look of someone who is newly famous because he was just like walking around like it was anything normal but like, <laughs> Terry, no Terry Gilliam has been through it all <laughs> so much right that he can yeah, walk yeah, out yeah. normally and this guy has only been famous for about six months so like yeah until like six months ago he, he could just go and get a pint of milk but i was looking at him like oh, but i know who you yeah. are now you won't be able to walk around for long i'll mm-hmm. suffocate you whoa <laughs> yeah. What? Like suffocating. Oh, I fame. see. I'm yeah. so sorry. Just, <laughs> yeah. You don't use that word see, often. So you they followed him really home. home for yeah. I <laughs> like, I will find you. Yeah. Come on the show. I had Olivia Wilde walk outside my flat. You did. I remember I told you about yeah, that. Yeah. It was uh, like June. And then later that day, she was spotted in the same outfit that you saw at yes. Hampstead Heath with. That was Harry it definitely was. It was. Literally outside my block of flats, walk past me is Olivia Wilde and I, I just ha- I was a very qu- immediately able to spot her because of just the news cycle at the time of mm. Don't Worry Darling and I was like that is definitely but Olivia Wilde what you understand is that Pop Kitchen is clearly sitting in the middle of some sort of interconnected movie universe yes. that it's destined to sit here and eventually you know, they will find themselves gravitating towards us yeah. um, Well, in, because my life is the Truman Show they don't have enough budget for actual real actors and the people <laughs> who are just pedestrians so they need to get Dominic Cooper right. and Olivia Wilde to do they time. they don't have enough budget so yeah. they get the most famous if you today. both wear a mask and really big sunglasses, he won't notice. <laughs> he won't notice. I like Truman, like watching the bike go by again. I'm like, oh, um, that's from the movie. Just one last thing before before we move on. I um, you, you've been away. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you told me you're going which is great. You went to Egypt. Egypt right? Yeah. Okay. Now you know you travel a lot for work. Yeah. And, it's been crazy. It's yeah. been crazy. And you know I'm always like, oh, you know, you go. And you told me you're going to Egypt, and I was like, oh, here he goes again. A bit worried about you. You know, your routine's <laughs> lot, you know, all over the place. You're feeling about under the weather. And then, I um, mean, I don't know whether I wasn't listening properly or I just think you didn't tell me, but lo and behold, I go on Instagram. There you are scuba diving with your family, having a ripe old time. There I am worrying about you. thinking, don't worry, James. I'll sort the upload this yeah. week. And you were like, I, I was going to try not to text you too much because yeah. you were and busy working. You? I was like, you lucky bastard. I swear to God. I said, no, no, it's for a, it's for a holiday oh, going you, you come back with a tan in October. Oh, God, yeah. It, it, do you know what? turns out Egypt is really hot, <laughs> even <laughs> no, in no. October. Like, boy, it was one of those, like, you get out of pool or sea, and the water just yeah. You're immediately dry, like a like a music um, video. But yeah, I went scuba diving for the first time. Great, which is very cool. You can, do, my... you can do it again. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love mm. to do it again. It was like a try dive. Oh, like you bad. go with an instructor yeah. who's very like you <laughs> <laughs> like you go like to move, and he's like <laughs> and I kind of he's very firm. Yeah, but I'm also quite happy that yes. he's firm and he's checking on me like every five to ten seconds, which I think I needed. Yes, because it was like a real sort of five minutes is how to scuba dive. And there's so much information that you're just there nodding, yeah. go, right, yes. so right. So don't take my mask off. Okay. And the main thing is like, whatever you do, don't stop breathing when you come up because your lungs will collapse from the pressure <laughs> if you don't equalize it. And you're just like, I'm really untrained to be <laughs> yeah. doing this, but okay. I think it's one of those things that it, you can overthink when you scuba dive. You almost yeah. need to like devolve into like a mechanical yes. uh, thing and just do what feels natural. And there's this moment where like you know you're going down, you're going down, you don't really realize it, but then you look up and you realize the surface of the water yes. is like 10 meters above you, and yes. I'm like, oh my god, am I drowning? No, I can breathe. Yeah, I'm fine. Don't <laughs> have very, a panic attack, like, John You, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's going on? Can I breathe? Oh, oh my god, what? Well, yes, I there can. There's a clownfish over there. Uh, I am. Um, if I have pictures, I will put a picture of me holding a clownfish which I'm yet to receive but if uh, I have it I'll go in the edit. I uh, I went scuba diving once and like that I was descending but like, I saw the instructor look over at me at one point point. he was like mm. and I looked up and the boat was above me but because of the, the chop there was quite a choppy water it was like rising so it would rise and be like you know 10 metres oh, above my I see. but then it, when it would come down it would like be like three meters above my head yes. and i just i just it didn't happen but i felt the sensation of the boat just landing on my skull and killing me <laughs> and i just but luckily i just so i just kept descending and descending but i thought oh it's a horrible have you ever like to see the underside of a boat yeah you're like, not meant to see it uh, uh, hanging over you you touch the butt anyway this is a film podcast yeah <laughs> uh finding nemo yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah there we go yeah yeah movies <laughs> So guys, we have got a bit of a bumper show for you today. In fact, it's the first part of a two-part episode because it has been the London Film Festival, which is one of the biggest film festivals I'm realising in the world. You know, you've got your Cannes, you've got your Venice, but you've got your London and Toronto. It's big. And it's the first year the London Film Festival has been on when we've been doing this podcast, right? And so James and I, a little last minute, but we managed to get ourselves press accreditation. We realised we we could see, like... These films really early. So this is how it works. So so if you, you know, do like we do and you have an outlet and you have a certain number, you have to be, I have like, I think you have to be above a certain number of followers. Oh really? We made it. We made it. Just made the cut. Like Indiana Jones under the door. We made the cut. And you can get press accreditation, which means you have access to all of the press screenings that they lay on throughout the festival. That's not the same as the public screenings that they put on, which you buy tickets for as a punter or the premieres that are happening. It's it's pr- um, press screenings that run throughout the day. And how it usually works is um, the first film of the day is at 8.30 and it's usually the the, the most Im- uh, talked m. about hype. Yeah, 8.30 a.m., that's right. Most hyped film. So for two weeks if you looked at the first film of all the of all the days, it was always like the, the biggest film, yeah. which I think must be because the <laughs> scheduling is like, we want the film critics to go in with the... We want the, the film critics to see the biggest films with the freshest minds. So yeah. it's like dog eat dog. They push their ways to, the, to the front of the queue. Yeah. Because if you're like the big, next big... Okay, let's take Glass Onion, which closed the um, the, the whole London Film Festival... You imagine Netflix being like on the press screening. I want that to be the first film that critics see that day because I don't want them to go and see this film at two o'clock, having seen three films that morning, and they're clouded and they're, they're thinking. Also, availability-wise, you're more likely to be able to make something first thing in the day than like a two right, o'clock, exactly, right? right. Oh, and also the idea that you can then leave that screening, write your review, and have it up online. Yeah, because this is actually you know the, it's part of the film industry, film festival circuit that they they want you to go and see these. They lay on these screens because they want press to go and review them because they yeah. can generate buzz and generate movement. And, and they want to get have, an indicator. Studios want to get a, an indication. Exactly. An indication. Award, so yeah and um it was quite interesting for us to be part of this sort of circus for the for the first time yeah. um i mean you know we had uh our, you know Lucy Heath our friend the, the, the filmmaker on like many episodes ago talking about Tribeca film festival and i did think about that when we were seeing films because I thought underneath all of this stuff we've got these screenings for the press you have got the screenings for the public but in hotel rooms and you know meeting spaces all around London right now there are film industry people putting together deals and putting together acquisitions and yeah. thinking let's roll that out this seems good well the people oh you know Timothy Chalamet's in, in town because of the premiere you know, for the London Film Festival. Let's have a meeting because of this. So you're just aware of this buzz of film activity in London, which is really really exciting. Mm. So how would work is this? Yeah, we we would go um, at eight thirty. You, you you have to actually get there earlier. Um, get there, queue outside the Odeon Lux Leicester Square. Get in, take a seat, uh, which is actually Odeon Lux Leicester Square. Like shocker, great screen, yeah, great <laughs> cinema. <laughs> Who knew that the Where central they host the uh, premier, biggest stars in the world um, a film, yeah. So, James and I... Sorry, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're all yours in the upstairs bit as well. No, no, it was... It was you, the catch you, thing. you could oh, go well. both. So, James and I um, divvied them up. Because of different work arrangements, James sadly could only see one I film. just saw one, which, which is James. To today. Uh I very thankfully I was have been able to see five films um which very impressive which, which meant getting up at like 6 6 30 going all the way to leicester square getting there for like 7 45 queuing outside i will tell you right now the queue for the whale and the queue really? for glass onion went around leicester square interesting because white noise was not a 50 percent yes, yeah, full right uh, yeah and the other ones i had were yeah. less a bit more timid queuing for a bit letting you win obviously there's loads of there's loads of seats it was never gonna be a full house yeah um getting in, sitting there, watching a two or even longer two hour film, finishing that, coming out, getting on a tube and going to work and then working a full work day, having seen the film I've just done. And I must admit by about like 5 p.m. every day, I was just like, uh, and I'd get flashbacks to the film, and I was like, "Was that today? <laughs> Do I like it?" That's the most number of films you've seen for any episode of this show. I know, right? Like yeah. five. You've not done five. No, no. So we're gonna we're gonna split it. So James and I, we've got three films to talk about in this part one, and then next week you're gonna hear our reviews of the other three films. Yeah. If we about. did it all in one episode, it would be probably four hours long, and it's just you would get yeah. lost in the shuffle. So enjoy a part one and part two of this. Yes. So yeah, very exciting. I mean, like, I've been really jealous, just like you going to all these films. I'm like, okay. oh, I really want to see James, it. You've been messaging me being like oh can we do this and i'll be like sorry i'm literally on the way to see glass onion i know on way way the 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 oh, like yeah. how exciting but it's actually perfect because you will see all these films yeah. give me an amazing impression of how these are doing i can then as they sort of get released to the, yes. the peasants public i can then <laughs> see them and sort of bounce back off you well, at the same time that hopefully you guys will start to see yeah. them and we can start to have conversations and all of that so it should be really good i think if the important thing to point out unless uh, i, I, I would have thought this is kind of I thought this was well known, but in case you aren't aware, the exciting thing about when I say the biggest films are at the first point of the day is that a lot of these films haven't been released yet. Yeah. They're either imminently being released in a month's time or some of them like the whale for example hasn't even got a uk release date yet no, i think it's not no till trailer I, yet. no even trailer at, at the time of recording no trailer not even a proper poster right so we're going to see all these films that are having a lot of buzz about if you want to get an idea of what the coming few months are like going to be like with the film landscape go back and listen to our oscar yes. contenders chat which covers a lot of the films we're going to talk about today Should we do it? Let's get into it. So welcome to the London Film Festival special. Yeah, welcome to part one of the London Film Festival roundup. Oh, and these will be spoiler free. Yes, entirely spoiler free. Don't worry, we got you. Guys, just uh, just as a reminder, subscribe to Pop Kitchen from all the fun that we've got coming up, all these reviews, all these things gonna be coming out as clips. We've got all this stuff ahead of when they're coming out. If you've ever just been wondering, should I, shouldn't I? Go give us a like. Go subscribe. It's a fun yeah. time. We're moving on to the award season. You'll feel great for it. You just you'll feel lighter. You'll get this just, little ding the in the your notification kit. bell. You'll be like, oh yeah, pop kitchen. If you're enjoying this, that. rate it. Hey, it's like you know that's why it's the pop kitchen. We're serving you up the goods. Exactly. We're cooking you something cinematic. So George, anyway. what is the first film that you would want to talk about today? So, so the first film I saw at the London Film Festival was this Bill Nye film called Living. Yes. A little bit of context about this. So, uh, I saw a trailer for this. Couple of months ago, I sent you to have a little look at. It's based on an Akira Kurosawa film called uh, Ikaru. Yeah, so because Akira Kurosawa. Yes. Yeah, Ikaru from I, 19- I had a verbal like brain malfunction <laughs> where we did like films that are on our blind spots. Oh yeah, when I yeah. Mentioned it. Anyway, so Ikaru from 1952. This is uh, an English language adaptation which is set in the 1950s of London. It's uh, uh, adapted by a South African filmmaker who I. The name escapes me and I'm sat here. But the screenplay is written by Kazuo Ishiguru, sort of a British-Japanese novelist who wrote Never Let Me Go. Multi-award winning. Yeah. yeah, very famous. Um, and the essential setup for living is this. It's 1950s London. And it's the era of all the men go to work in the morning in the pinstripe suits and mm-hmm. the bowler hats. And are identical and they get on the steam train and they go yeah, good morning yeah, good morning yes and and they walk across the you know to, to work they get off the train and they go into their office and it's the era of tightly packed offices with bundles of papers and people smoking and wood panelled walls and this film begins by following uh, a young office worker um who is beginning his first day at county hall in london working for the london uh, city corporation in the in the, I believe, planning and works department, so makes decisions, you know, about planning and building throughout the city. He meets his fellow colleagues who are also very stern and very much part of the system. And uh, they say, Oh, Mr. Williams is coming, you know, you'd be beware of Mr. Williams. And Mr. Williams is, of course, played by Bill Nye, who is wearing the sternest and frostiest and you know, most minimal of Bill Nighy expressions. Mm. And he's perfectly cordial, but he is a product of his time. He's 1950s and he sits at his desk and he sort of will half turn. If someone approaches him from his side, he will raise the tiniest of eyebrows to sort of go, can I help you at all? Anyway, what happens is um, Mr. Williams uh, go, says out out of the blue, a very uncharacteristically says, I'm leaving early today for an appointment at three o'clock and I'll be back tomorrow. And everyone sort of goes, oh, okay. Could you please deputize in my absence? And says, okay, okay, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> he goes to the doctors, uh, to doctor's appointment and the doctor says, sadly, yeah, you know, you're, you're terminally ill. He's delivered this news. And so begins a sort of journey for Bill Nye's character. And a re-evaluation you know, of life. You can, place, see, yeah, you can see where this is going, re-evaluation of life, a kind of questioning all that he's done in this incredibly stiff, clipped British setting. Right. Um, the way I describe Living is it's a lovely, warming film about death. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got... Uh, the first thing to say is that it's, it's immaculately presented. It, it looked... In the trailer, it looked so clean and beautiful. Every single frame I I was in love with. I don't know if it is actually shot on film, but they have rendered it so much like the 1950s. It actually begins with stock Kodak footage of London from the 1950s. I'd say it would be then, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's just beautiful to look at. And then it sort of seamlessly blends with how it's shot um, for the film. Um, It's got a keen eye for um, not just like uh, period detail, but like um, visual language, when the men are all lined up on the the platform in their in their pinstripe suits it just looks incredibly clear mm. that when they get off the train you've got these ve- very stark shadows and strong light so um w- w- one thing which is great is when they when they go to london locations that we're very familiar with like the entrance to waterloo station yeah. but it's completely shot in period and it just looks wow. beautiful and you've got yes yeah, so these strong uh dark cutting shadows uh, by County Hall, you know, bouncing off this architecture. It, it invokes that this world is incredibly rigid and incredibly strict. Um, and uh, Bill Nighy is wonderful. It's a Bill Nighy role, you know, it's a Bill Nighy performance, but he delivers it with such tenderness. You know, I think, I i, I was watching it thinking, this could, this could you know, we like you said, oh, I know where this premise could take us. Yeah, sure, it yeah. could be twee, it could be saccharine, it could be overly sweet. But the thing is, it's not. I think it's done with a real tenderness and a real, uh, balance. There are some heartbreaking moments in it and real, real moments of tenderness and warmth, but also it's moving. Mm. There is, um, you know, very early on, he, uh, there's a scene set where he, where he meets Tom Burke's character. Love Tom Burke, by the way, as an actor. Great. And, um. You know, Bill Nighy is sort of struggling and starts to, is is sort of telling him his situation, and, and he says, "You know, I've started to realise I should maybe living." You know, like the title suggests. And he says, "But I've realised I don't know how," and it's really mm. tender and 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 really Breaking cuts quite down the, that stiff upper lip, yeah, British um, front. And also the visual. When I say about the visually striking element, it moves from this like after he's had the news delivered. There's a scene, for example, um, set in Brighton, where you go from these strict highly contrasted shadows of, of County Hall in London to this sort of warm, um, um, full of colour uh, glow of Brighton and the nightlife and, and and the scenes around that. And just the contrast is great. There's some great moments of staging in it. He lives at home uh, in just the you know the most generic post-war um, suburbia, uh, probably someone like, no, he lives in Surrey, Isha in Surrey, right? And he lives there with his son and his son's uh, wife-to-be. And there's some staging that's done in the beginning of the film with the first scene between Bill Nighy and his son that's just heartbreaking. Just the way it's visually presented, Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, Um, there's some moments of recollection with Bill Nighy's character that for me, like reminded me of uh, Terrence Davis' film, Distant Voices, Still Lives, which is about a post-war family in Liverpool, which is, that that whole film is like an emotional memory. And there's bits of that that poke through in this. Despite it's kind of like, it's pretty formally normal, but there's this moments of like, um, really it dissolves into like emotional memory which i love uh there's more than a heavy dose of brief encounter in there which is absolutely no bad thing because brief encounter is a masterpiece and if you don't know what i'm talking about classic british film from the 1940s which has everything you know uh the life outside of london commuting in the isolation that brings with you and the sort of depersonalization of going into uh, work every day amy lou wood is in this from sex education yes right she, wonderful absolutely really? every scene she is in she just brings such warmth and that's even spoken about her character i mean that's literally what her character's meant to do she brings this vitality in this sort of male uh heavy world in this office she, she is this she manages to sort of break through to uh, you know uh, mr williams's character and she has these wondrous eyes that uh, is such a great foil against Bill Nye. So the, the expressions in this film—that's what's really interesting as well. I said, like, it's got this very good visual eye. It has a way of capturing faces so well. So when it shoots Amy, Amy Lou Ward, you just feel everything that uh, Mr. Williams sees in, in her. And when you see Mr. Williams, you see his—you really get a sense of his the cragginess and the frostiness of his, of his expression that is slowly starting to thaw throughout the film. And with the other men in the office, it really has an eye for like the physiognomy of their faces and how each one almost represents a different, like masculine uh ideal from the 50s mm. um but this young whippersnapper who, so who who joins the firm as well he brings sort of a lot of emotional heart and there's this there's this subplot with the film as well that there is if there is a p- piece of planning that hasn't been done that's being handed around the bureaucracy of county hall um and that kind of uh, is kind of the narrative undercurrent there's a cut uh for the third act that when it happened i thought oh what's happened here and then when it when the film resolves itself into its conclusion i was like oh that's really that's actually really smartly done so you know there's more than a touch of christmas carol in there a little bit of its wonderful life it won't be for everyone but i i was actually surprised at how how solid it is it's a really lovely charming uh heartwarming film you will you will finish the film and go oh oh that's oh that's that's really nice that's and sorry not nice i don't mean like nice like that's uh Cute, nice, sweet. Cute, nice, like we've talked about, like Operation Mince Me, you know, watch on Sunday. Yeah. Every, there, you know, There is a little, there, there is real sadness in this film and real emotion. I am really looking forward to seeing Bill Nye in a lead role. Yes. Because he has been around for so long and has been so great in so many, Like mm. I'd say, I'd say fair, uh, too fair to him, very mm. samey kind of roles. Yeah. But I'm really glad, like when I saw the trailer a couple of weeks, it was only about two weeks ago, and it was one of those trailers that sounds so so cliche, but actually like, got me on the verge of tears oh, because of yeah. how... A like how beautifully yeah. it looked, but how I think you know well, cra- having not seen it, how well crafted it seemed yeah. to be, and how it just sort of seemed to peck at these really mm. nice little notes. But I'm just quite—I I don't really remember a time I've seen Bill Nighy really well, fronting yeah. a film like that for a really long time. And I'm like, yeah, like of course, Bill Nighy, yeah. like national treasure, um, staple of, of British actors. I'm mm. so—I'm really looking forward now to your very promising review. Mm. Like I'm very much looking forward to seeing him do that. Yeah, I, I, he is. He why well, it's it's more than uh, he's getting his fair dues now to, to in his performance i sat next to a guy in the screen that was one thing that was quite pl- interesting about the press screenings as well i'd always have like try and have a natter with the person who was next to me yeah sometimes if they're uh, press sometimes they'd be industry and this guy was a, a producer and he knew the uh, producers directors of, of this film and he said, you know, they, they nearly ran out of money. Really? And I said, you cannot tell. You absolutely cannot tell. Wow. I think th- the film looks impeccable, really yeah. impeccable. Um, yeah, I left that film and it was glorious sunshine outside on a Sunday. And I, I, felt, I felt great. I thought that was really charming and, and, and wonderful. And I, I, it's out in cinemas November 4th, right? Okay. So that's coming out soon. Go and see it and let me know what you think. Please do. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Do you have any questions about it? Does that sound... That sounds great. Like, I, I, My only thing I wanted to say was about Bill Nye, which I just don't think... I don't remember a time when I've seen Bill Nye um, front a film like that. Did you say oh, it was... That, what, what, remind me again, Kazuo Shiguro is writer on this. He's a screenwriter, yeah. Screenwriter. So so I, so it's I, not from a book. It's a Kazuo Shiguro no, screenwriter. No, it's a... It's the, oh, the It's Akira Kurosawa. But song. this is what I find interesting. You've got an Akira Kurosawa... Based on Akira Kurosawa film so yeah. you've got a japanese idea adapted by a british japanese screenwriter directed by a south african uh director and i really sometimes what i i mean it's an absolute compliment it's like sometimes you need an outsider's perspective yeah. to really cut to the heart of something you know like last year when we talked about spencer that's a chilean director with an american actress yeah, and yeah. i'm like sometimes you just need a different position one thing i have forgotten to say is that the sound design of this film is really good really? the it captures the hard clip clop of men's shoes on the pavement uh, across Waterloo hard Bridge. There is a dinner scene um, at home that is incredibly tense, and they amplify the cold sound of cutlery on crockery as it like serves up shepherd's pie. That sort of. And it's, uh, ah, it it just makes you feel uncomfortable. I think it's quite interesting to cross the idea or take uh, something that's a very Japanese cultural thing of being very sort of emotionally withdrawn and slightly stiff Hmm. and mixing that with something that's also very British. Like traditional Japanese is like, you don't really show emotion. You don't want to do anything to put shame. Mm -hmm. And I think to actually merge these ideas and see a very interesting overlap is quite an interesting idea. Or just look at a script and go, actually, this applies to to 50s British culture. Yeah, the parallels of two... You know, conservative with a small c. Yes. Uh, Well, conservative with a big C, societies, um, withdrawn, repressed. Anyway, that's living with Bill Nye. He's great. Amy Lou Wood. Oh, fantastic. Let me know what you think when you go see it, James. Let's do it. And if you have seen it or you're going to see it, email us in and let us know. If you're watching this in a few weeks' time in the future, email (laughs) to hello at com and let us know what you thought. James, one of the films we mentioned very briefly, I think, in our Oscars roundup a few weeks ago was Noah Baumbach's new film, White Noise, which I think is coming to Netflix soonish. You went to the press screening of that, the one you were able to go to. The one I was able to go to. Um, What's going on? Yeah, uh, so Noah Baumbach is sort of in another Netflix-style partnership. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because he's coming off the huge success of, or critical success of Marriage Story Mm -hmm. and what I assume has been a you know, whatever Netflix values as a commercial success mm. in terms of how sure. many people watched it. You know, it got, uh, you know, lots of awards. And this is based on Don DeLillo's novel of the same name. And it is the first Noah Baumbach film to not be based on his own screenplay. It's it. based on okay. the novel. So you've got this sort of slightly new interesting new territory from Noah Baumbach. And it's his highest budget to date with $80 million. Okay. Which again, like coming off that success, I can sort of understand why. Um, and I think like when I saw the film, you can see... This is an expensive movie. There's like a lot of places and crowds and people and different things going on. Mm. And it kind of looks like it costs a lot of money. Mm. Is that interesting? Just thought it was worth an observation Mm. compared to what he's doing before. And um, it stars Jack Gladney, who's played by Adam Driver. And I think what's interesting about this film, you've seen the trailer, haven't you? Uh, Yes, it seems kind of wacky. Yeah, because I think to look at the trailer and try and decide that this film is about one thing would be incredibly... would be a huge misrepresentation right. of what this film is doing. And I think the fact that it tries to make you think about it... The fact that it tries to do so many different yeah. things is part of its genius, and also, I feel, part of what slightly lets it down a bit. Okay. I think there's no arguing that this film is ever so slightly distracted. Mm-hmm. But when you you know really finish this film and take it as a whole I realize is that kind of the point and what it's trying to do but whether or not it succeeds it succeeds at doing that I think will be between different people and how they interpret the film okay <laughs> What you've kind of seen from the trailer is that Adam Driver lives with his wife, played by Greta Gerwig, and they have four children from three different managers. And it's very sort of typical Noah Noah Baumbach-style dialogue where it's sort of very overlapping Mm -hmm. and these kids are all like wonderfully intelligent and precocious and they're obsessed with digesting the news and Mm -hmm. testing each other's information. And it's really sort of like familiar, cozy, Mm -hmm. family-style dialogue. And what happens is there is a chemical explosion is one of the things that happened in the movie. Right. That happens outside their very small college town and it's set in the 1980s. Right. And it forces this whole series of events that means they have to sort of evacuate the town and go into this quarantine zone. Mm. And again, the plot will sort of, right. will sort of run through you. And you know, White Noise is filled with interesting observations about... Americans seeking solace from their impending death and their morality in <laughs> consumerism. Right, right. Okay. This, is all, this is all. I'm trying to talk about it, and it's all about everyone's impending death and the dumbing down of public information. Right. A lot of territory which we could say actually is quite relevant to our very modern and also concerns. territory covered in a completely different way. in don't look up. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess you actually could make some, some similarities about this. And there's, there's this lot, a lot of scenes where people are watching the news and, you know, th- oh, they're calling it this now. Oh, we have to start using this term. Well, if they use that term, that is politicized. Mm. And you can tell there's like okay, this good, almost right, yeah. impossible to ignore, like post-COVID yeah. rationalization of, of the news. And um, it, it, it exists in a Noah Baumbach style of being ever so slightly strange and heightened. Mm dialogue style both in the tone of its of its story and in the delivery of its actors which i which i think works and i think it is intentionally over intellectual and adam driver plays a professor who specializes in hitler studies (laughs) and he's friends with don sheedle who's a stud he studies elvis presley and they give these like wonderfully overacted um, seminars about Hitler and, <laughs> and Elvis and how they actually might have been linked. And it's almost <laughs> holding up this really like satirical mirror to like the over education yeah. of our, of our, of our yeah. universities and how you can just be a specialist in anything. But what's funny about him is that he doesn't speak any German and he's a professor of Hitler studies, but he doesn't want anyone to know. So he takes German lessons in private. Right. And like, that's kind of where like the first part of it's like mirror that it holds up to society. Then you get the whole sort of Chemical reaction, and um, I, I think I think what what makes it special is that the film is called White Noise, and it throws a bunch of distractions at you to make you think about all of these different things that are going on. Yeah. When really at the core is a family and a relationship Mm. and what happens is you become so distracted by what's happening in front of you that actually something that's really quite profound and quite heartbreaking is happening through the entire film Mm. and what it does quite well is it allows that drama to almost sneak up on you and you realize towards the end what really is the core Mm. that keeps this film moving forward that being said it is what is a really uneven film. Okay. It moves into a War of the Worlds esque pastiche of Spielberg's nineteen eighties like adventure film wow. with sequences where like the family are in the car driving away from okay. the thing, and you're like, okay. In, in the sort of almost the third act, it goes into a revenge style noir thriller with what? murder and Scott. Like, like, you kind of have to see it to believe it. And, and I think, I know this is intentional. So mm. for me to sit here and be like, this is an unbalanced movie, I think almost is a bit wrong. Yeah. Cause I think that's what it's meant to do. Whether or not that actually serves the film properly, yeah. I totally think is up for up for how, how, what you bring into it. I had such a great time with the film while I was in there, and Adam Driver is just continues course, to be one yeah. of the best acts around. And I think. Um, Greta Gerwig, uh, it just does such a brilliant performance, and yeah. their 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 style and their sort of almost on the verge of overacted uh, comedic tone that they they battle between it re- it really does work, mm. and I think with in, in lesser hands it yeah. could have failed, um, and that's and I feel kind of middling about it. Okay. I'm like it, it's I, I had such a good time with it, but I also do feel like. The, the format which it used to sort of sneak mm. up in you, I feel like might be slightly flawed. Okay. How did everyone well, else in the screening react to, to it as well? Were they laughing? People were laughing. It? It, it, it's a funny film. Everyone was laughing. Like there are a lot of times where I found it really funny and a mm. lot of these like sort of merry, very more modern contrasts to our own society, mm. I think work. And it never felt cheap to be taking those kind of points. Okay. So not to anticipate obviously, or overthink about how this is going to be consumed, but I mean, I think this doesn't come out till like December time. I think, yeah, play. I think it's close. I wouldn't be surprised away. if it, a load of people don't click with it. Totally. But it sounds like if you're willing, if you know, know about Mac well enough yeah, and are willing to stick with it enough, there's probably just about enough in there for you to enjoy yeah i think i think you could enjoy the ride and i think at the very end you might i think i, think I came out and i was like huh like what is this trying to say and right. what is it about because you've you've changed genre on me so many times yes. i'm like I, I almost i like like film was trying to do it's literally trying to distract you yeah. by format like white noise is yeah. the title of the film so i was always like hang on like what is this trying to do and i think it was trying to like really bring you bring her over to mm. a sort of slightly sad central right. problem that it had and yeah it's it's enjoyable but slightly flawed okay I'm, 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 You know, I, I really like Noah Baumbach's stuff. Someone else could very much say, I think it's genius. I think what it does is really great. at yeah, subverting yeah. our expectations. And I'd be like, you know what, fair. But I'm a little bit off on it. Okay. But also if someone was incredibly harsh on it, you'd probably say, oh, you're probably missing a couple of good things in there, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I, yeah, I, I really like Noah Baumbach. I love Marriage Story. Uh, I like Kicking and Screaming. Uh, I like a lot of his stuff. And I, I you know, I, he's, I, someone I look to it now as like, you're like a s- successful... Independent director, you know not, yeah. I mean, it's working for Netflix, not independent, but I meant that, like, you can make the film that you kind of want to make. Yeah, I, I look at you, you know, he's been around for 20, 30 years someone like Wes Anderson as well like you can go and make your film uh, and i think that's you know, what's maybe. happened by the way i think like with Netflix. From off, yeah off of narrative story it was like please feel free to go and, and do what and you stories, like stories actually it was his first oh sorry thing, which isn't is a yes. lesser bound back film i have to say but like but yeah but no, but yeah, exactly he's he, this is his third film for netflix it's clearly a deal and it's like you go off and make no bound back pictures for middle class <laughs> americans yeah. to watch 100% <laughs> um great i look forward to that if you guys have i'm actually, also I'm seen... actually really interested to hear what other people think about it yeah, if just cuz did... i'd love to sound off other Opinions and I'd love someone to point out something I maybe didn't think about. So So these do. It might not be out for a couple of months, but if anyone has, per chance, also seen it, let us know your thoughts. Or if anyone's read the novel, maybe let us know. I know Don is famously cryptic to read. Um, Yeah. Anyway, that's not read the book. You guys know the drill. Hello at PopKitchenPodcast.com. James. Another film I saw at the London Film Festival, which I was so excited to see, was The Whale. Darren yes. Aronofsky's Newfield. Probably the film of this season of films that is probably the most talked about. Currently hasn't got a poster, currently hasn't got a trailer. I keep seeing articles of Brendan Fraser in tears yes. after 20 minutes standing yes. ovation at insert right. prestigious film festival, blah, yeah. blah, blah um i don't even think it's getting released in the uk until january i don't think it's going be confirmed it's not getting released going in the us Oscar season, they are it? going for and in a way it's, so it's kind of built already this kind of air of mystique and this air of buzz. and like i said earlier when i turned up for the screening there was a queue around the block so and when we did our you know look ahead to the films that are coming yeah. up i think we both said the whale was one we were most intrigued by yeah because it is a very uh unique to use that word film a very distinctive film a so, rebirth of a new act of an old actor rebirth of a new actor a bringing slightly t- divisive director at the yes. house so let's just contextualize it so the whale is um based off of a play by uh i think his name is samuel d hunter it stars brendan fraser who of course will be familiar to many audiences members but also not familiar to a lot of audience members i asked my flatmate i asked my girlfriend i said do you know who brenda fraser is and they said no and I said, the guy I from hope The Mummy. I yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> I said, the guy from The Mummy. And they went, oh, yeah. But it's true. I, I honestly think if you said to someone, when was the last time you saw a Brendan Fraser film? or When was the last time, you know, Brendan Fraser was in your consciousness? I know he's been, he's still been getting work, you know, the past yeah. few years. But it's been a while. Darren Aronofsky has directed this. Darren Aronofsky directed Requiem for a Dream. Uh, *Pi*, Black Swan, The Wrestler, The Fountain. Mother. Mother. Noah as well, actually, <laughs> that everyone forgets. I uh, forget that one. And now he's back with The Whale. The story of The Whale is this. Brendan Fraser plays Charlie, who I think is about 600 pounds, or that confuses me with a conversion. He is chronically, morbidly obese. He is, you know, uh, the kind of thing that is... the subject of a Channel 5 documentary at 11 o'clock at night, right? He, uh, you know, he is housebound, almost like sofa-bound character, but he's an English teacher as well. He's incredibly smart, and he teaches online courses. And in fact, one of the very early shots of the film that we see, and just a reminder, this is spoiler-free. I'm not going to give anything away that you don't want to know, is uh, like a Zoom screen. Uh, I mean, like Zoom meetings, right? Um, sorry, those motorbikes are on my end yes sorry more, more, Wild more traffic are back in town um, so the film begins and uh, the first I must say the first time we, we we see Charlie as a character it begins at a point of like uh, it begins at quite an ugly point it's quite a good almost grotesque I don't think the film is um, leeringly grotesque I think but there are moments of gr just un- by the state of his of his life that are sadly uh, grotesque because so it begins at this kind of low point for him and uh very early, I'm trying to be as broad as I can. I don't want to give away too much. He's, you know, someone looks at him and says like, you are in like a critical stage of your health. You are, you know, you are not well, which is obvious to anyone who's watching this. He knows it. The person telling him knows it. The audience knows it. This person is not, is not doing good. Lots of things happen in in, in the course of the story, but essentially I would describe it the way I described it before I had even seen it, which is that you could, the broad narrative is that he is spends, the the duration of the film, trying to reconnect with his daughter, who's played in this by Sadie Sink, who most people will know from Stranger Things, who's great in Stranger Things. And I have to say, plays a character in this, not too really dissimilar from her character in that, but you know what? She's still still good in it. The whale. (laughs) How to describe the whale? I think the whale is a really, really solid, uh, often powerful difficult, but difficult in the right places film that uh, I found incredibly moving. Uh, I mean, where to begin? First of all, with Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky has always made films about waking nightmares, right? Whether it's the existence of drug users in Requiem for a Dream and, you know, how haunted that whole experience is and the, the way that film just sort of descends into hell. It's Black Swan with Natalie Portman's character losing her mind. Mm-hmm. It's mother, the sort of just just all the, the way, way through. all the way through this kind of waking nightmare of of life. And what I found really interesting is that Darren Aronofsky is incredibly restrained in this film. This is the most restrained Darren Aronofsky film, day, especially off the back of Mother, which was like him giving everything. Yeah. This is him dialing way down. Yet he still infuses it with so many of his hallmark uh traits and the waking nightmare of charlie's life is kind of writ large and like i said it's not in a exploitative way or or it's just a way that renders him as a, as a fully complete character so if when you look at him um in his life the camera isn't sort of going oh like how fucking disgusting this is or overly being like you know uh, it's not trying to really point you in a, t- into a certain direction i found i felt it was just sort of presenting you with with this character um, but it's creating this waking nightmare from an incredibly domestic setting you know um it, it's it's all basically in his living room and it's the detritus of his life it, it it's empty four liter bottles of pepsi it is discarded pizza boxes it is greasy t-shirts <clears throat> i think that that's incredibly good. i think also darren aronofsky always makes films that are really interested in the body requiem for a dream is like the sort of Deterioration of mm. the body by drugs, whether it's the, the arm of Jared Leto or what happens to Jennifer Connolly's Connelly, car- character or even with Ellen Burstyn's character. It's Natalie Portman's physique in plucking Black Swan. Plucking, out of exactly, hand, yeah. and the, the, the nails. It's Mickey Rourke's uh, physique in The Wrestler. And you get that with Brendan Fraser in this. Brendan Fraser had put on weight for this role, but obviously a large amount of it is to do with prosthetics and uh, I think maybe a touch of CGI and also hidden between massive, massive clothes, right? Um, I think talking about... I, th- I think the first thing to, to actually just flag up when going into the 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 whale the is that it is a play. And I think for some people, okay. that if, 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 if you were to draw anything, that is probably the biggest obstacle to this film. Right. It will be a minor obstacle for some. It will be a bigger obstacle for others. I don't think it's a problem because the film it's not, it is not... It is in the film's DNA. It is not lying. It's not trying to hide it. This film is a play. It is predominantly set in his house, his flat. He is housebound, so it makes sense. It is his living room, it is his bedroom, it is his bathroom, it is his balcony. But do not expect this film to break away and go to different places. You are, strap in, you're watching a play, okay? However, I don't think it suffered the stagey woodenness of a play. I didn't, I didn't think, oh God, this is just wooden. Don't get me wrong, it's full of emotion, full of life, very well directed but you are watching a play. And how you feel about that, it depends on how you feel about watching a play, really. There are moments of dramatic entrances and exits that feel a little stagey. There are dialogue, that dialogue that is almost too clean, too play-like, a little too mannered. But it's fine if you like watching plays and if you like that kind of drama, right? Mm -hmm. So do you think this is enjoyed by a certain type of critic (sighs) slash viewer? No, I just... Uh I think it will land more strongly with certain people than others, but I think also just flagging that in advance will yeah. help a lot of people. I think you just need to know that you're going to be sat in basically in some guy's room for two hours um that said you know it's a it's a really really interesting film because i've i I kept thinking i've not seen anything like this before i've not seen a character a film study someone like this in this way for such a long time. The last time I'm trying to think of someone who was like housebound and morbidly obese is like what's eating Gilbert Grape, which is Johnny Depp's mother. And she's like a supporting character, but this is Young, very yeah. much contextualized within real life. You know, th- there are themes in this beyond the state of Charlie's health. There it's obviously his relationship with his daughter. There's themes of religion is a big theme. um, Healthcare, sort of wider socioeconomic political landscape of America. There are other characters as well. Um, uh, there's a character, uh, again, I can't remember the actress's name off the top of my head, who plays uh, Liz, who's his friend, who sort of checks up on him, wonderfully played. She's fantastic. She was in uh, the Watchmen series. Um, uh, there's this other guy who knocks on his door, who is uh, um, Ty Simpkins. He brings a lot as well. Anyway, I, uh, if you if you can sense to me, sort of like sl- slowly trying to present it to you, it's because um, uh, there is many great things in The Whale, but I think I also should also say up front, is that, you know, it's... So it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a lot of fun. You know, I, I'm not saying it's overly heavy. There are moments of great humour in it and, and, and witty play humour, but it is sad. You are watching a sad story. Um, but onto the, onto the stronger points now. What, what I found, found really interesting is that um, how uh, Darren Aronofsky has sort of quickly emotionally invests you into the story, into this world. There is a point about, only about 10 minutes in, of Brendan Fraser eating a chocolate bar. And it is really quite emotional. And I remember thinking, that is really... Cl- you've got me already there. Mm-hmm. and you've, you've got my attention. Um, I think that the, 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 the reason it's called The Whale is that he loves Moby Dick, the, the story. It's both, yeah. you know, yeah, good book. <laughs> so, like, obviously, The well Whale and that. But then there's also the, the pejorative insult of the fact that he is, you know, so large. And like, and the, the sound of waves kind of is like a recurrent, leitmotif like light motif that kind of runs through the film. And there is a, uh, I noticed watching it that, like, the waves that they were playing, these sort of waves of emotion would kind of come through and really catch you off guard, in a way that a brilliantly written play would do. In that there is, you know, it doesn't have to have a moment of action or a moment of this. It's just in the sudden delivery of a line that suddenly gets you in a certain place. Um, Brendan Fraser is wonderful i mean j- just just fantastic i don't best actor not that you've seen i the think films. him being best actor for oscars next year is such a moot point by by this that it's almost even not worth discussing i don't really? want to overhype it because like it, but like an add-on but like he is so wonderful when i talked in my review of living i mentioned amy lou wood and her eyes and how like open and wide these sort of doe eyes that she had and brendan fraser has the same thing he's got these really expressive wide eyes and and charlie is a is a is is full character that's kind and 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 warm but conflicted and has a thing in his past. And to spend time with him is really interesting. He what I love as well is when you get to award season like this, you are always in the territory of being told this person is up, it could win the Oscar next year and go and watch this performance and you go and watch it and the actor's going, I'm going to give you a performance. I'm going to go for the grand performance and I'm going to get that Oscar and you go, wow, look how big that performance was. And I mean, he literally is doing a big performance because he's so big, but I actually never felt like, here goes Brendan Fraser going for that Oscar. I it's really- like He's really trying. I really yeah. felt that he- he Got given a dream role and he, really just he really committed it. to it and he, and he did and he- physically and visually, he does disappear into the role, but he also does that, you know, in, in his own acting. It's, it's so hard to recognise him and think, you know, is that Brendan Fraser, which is great. It's a completely self-effacing role. Um, like I said, there are, there are moments of it that, that, are, that are ugly and uncomfortable and difficult, but what, what the, the strength of the whale is is that it takes a very ugly, difficult subject matter, many subject matters, and it is always trying to move from a point of ugliness to a point of beauty right? And it's always trying to get to that human point. And, you know, I I can't say why, but if you look at the way the film opens with Brendan Fraser's character, I mean, like the shot, and the way the film closes, if you were to hold those two shots together, I think you get a perfect articulation of that kind of central theme. I talked about this kind of waves of emotion that kind of building up, and like all good, well-written plays, it, you know, they have an emotional climax and it builds. And james i was watching it and i realized in the last 10 minutes that i was crying and i could hear people around me sniffling and wiping their eyes and i like and i thought you know and what and what's great about these press screens is that everyone there loves films as much as you do right yeah and i mean like it wasn't just like a couple of tears i had to get a tissue i had to dab my eye and i had to sort go stay with it and it it I, i was completely like knocked out by the end so when the credits rolled, I had to sit there. I had to wipe my eyes again. I had to let the, the the lights go out. And I then had to stagger outside and go and do a full work day. And I was on the tube, <laughs> like, I, I've just seen this like in, um, incredibly intense- Someone offers you a chocolate bar. a Dramatic scenario. And I don't think I, I can carry this. I mean, I'm trying to talk around it as, as best I can. Um, Is there anything you want to ask me? So here's the thing. So hearing you compliment it is great. And I think uh, I'm I'm still very interested to see it. And it's nice to see that the cues around the block and the bars and the 20 minute standing ovations are sort of, you know, Mm. justified. Do you think this film has mass appeal? And do you think that, because I think what a lot of people have said about if this film is going to be up for, you know, either best actor or best, best film. Is it mm, best that, film I could say. P- people often say that in the recent years with the Oscars, the best, the best film have been films that not a lot of people have seen. not A lot of people have had mass appeal for versus mm-hmm. back in the day. They were usually yes. like, if you go back, you were like, oh, those were really yeah, big films like that Lord Lord of everyone the Rings. saw. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, gl- Gladiated, oh, best film. Like, yeah, you think yeah. to films like that. And yeah, I'm just wondering, it. will people who aren't necessarily the London Film Festival audience or the critics mm. resonate with it as much as they do? Probably not. I I don't think it's... And I don't think that's a criticism. I'm just curious to hear about that. I don't think it's it's obscure or like overly esoteric. Like when you talked about white noise, like that's clearly playing to, you know, there's gonna be certain crowd that get that and some certain crowd that doesn't. I, I, I do think there is a lot of people that go, what is that? What is that? And then they go to see it. They might think, oh, a pl- this is a play basically. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure I like, I. so it, it's probably speaking to a slightly narrower field. With, with Darren Aronofsky films, I felt like Black Swan cut a, quite a nice balance between be, having mass appeal, appeal yes. and also being, and filmed Darren Aronofsky. And that, there is this sort of tension in it as well when I was watching. I was like, I've come to see Darren Aronofsky film and yet yeah. I'm basically watching him do a play, which is weird. But he, like I say, he really does um, deliver it well. I think um, another film recently that was really felt like a play but wasn't a play is The Hateful Eight. Right, which yes. was purposefully shot in ultra wide yeah, but that, but that, that again and- has much more visually th- things happening, <laughs> and also that just did go outside and had, had, and, yeah. and it had action in it as well. This is—I I don't want to say that the play is, is a wrong thing at all. Like, no. it, it, it's a very good play and it's very well written, and like I said, it delivers the emotional beats and it gets you thinking and it gets you invested in this character. And I think Darren Aronofsky does a very good job of rendering that cinematically. It's just that I'm just—I'm just letting you know right now if you don't like stagey, slightly play films. You're gonna. You, you might chafe slightly at Other this than that. obstacle. Other than that, go and see it. Other than that, I think I think it's really powerful at times. Um, I, I I think it's like solid throughout, but it builds to. I I, I like I said, I was really knocked out by the end. Um, watch it for his performance. Watch it for the whole cast performance. I mean, there's there's even a performance by a character that I don't even want to mention because I don't want to reveal too much. Um, it is like I said, uncomfortable. It's slightly grotesque at times it is touching it is very moving and it is powerful and um it is very distinctive and unique i really think you're not going to see another film like that um so very excited you know welcome back brendan fraser um they might as well start warming up they start putting in the name right now i honestly wouldn't be surprised if some film studios are like we're going to hold our film back for a year because we no, because really? they've done that in the past they've gone it's such a clear indication that this person's going to win wow. why risk it i mean it has not to be cynical but it has all the things written over it. it's it got a physical transformation yeah, which by we an love. actor who's doing a comeback yeah like you know or, and yeah it's got it's got great theatrical credentials as well Oddly. so yeah if, you, if it sounds like i'm sort of tiptoeing around it, it's like it's not it's like it's based on a play and you know it's it's not a laugh riot but if you like good drama and you like good acting and you like good directing and you just want to sit and just get your teeth into some drama that makes you feel something makes you think about something go and see the whale if you've seen the whale, please let us know what you think and write in your impressions to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com we will do a spoiler discussion when it comes out yes when i've seen it let's do it so there you go guys that yeah. was half of the films that we've seen for the london film festival That's please it. do wait for our part two we will do more yes. i hope you enjoyed reviews it. coming next week just to tease you include sam mendes's new film empire I'm of light i'm looking forward to martin McDonough's nice. new film the banshees of inner sharon had great and things about that glass onion knives out too guys subscribe anyway be here for it but in the meantime, separately, as always, Probably we get done that wonderful end. emails. <laughs> <Yeah. We laughs> That's can, all right. We can do we'll it keep it there. Um, As always, we get great emails from our audience all over the world. And they send in their thoughts, their questions, their concerns to hello at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. Just like Cora did. Cora says, hi, love the podcast. Listen to it every week. A few Thanks, months aura. ago, I watched Columbus by Cogonada. Coganada. Coganada. Yeah. I was wondering if you've watched it. It's made, you can tell I haven't. Its main theme <laughs> is architecture, which is not yeah. an interest of mine at all. But after watching, I felt really invested. Amazing performances from the small cast as well. Highly recommended. P.S. I'm doing my A levels at the moment, and this podcast is getting ah. me through. Thanks, well, Cora. Hey, Cora. First of all, good luck in your A levels. Best of luck. Hey, it's what you, month you, is it? you're going okay. uh, yeah, to do fine. You're going to do fine. Don't worry. Um, we we have spoken about c- uh, Columbus, but. I don't know if we kept it in. Did it so get in episode, episode thirty? We had that. I love called, that you like, know the name. Um, the movie moments of the month, or it was like magical moments of the movies. Right? We, I spoke about it with you, right? Because I have mm-hmm. seen Columbus, and I will tell you about it in a second. But we, I think we might have cut it, and maybe we have. If course, hasn't heard about it, but to recap, yes, I have seen Columbus. It's a you're lovely, an architecture fan Lovely. Well, I work in architecture, my day job. I I, I have an appreciation for it. I don't say I'm not a real architectural nerd, You're a bricklayer. But I know my <laughs> no, I know my Le Corbusier from my Mies van der Rohe and yeah. my you know Neymar and my Geary. Um, George's Instagram is linked below. <laughs> <laughs> yes, why not? Actually, come along. <laughs> um, Columbus is art ah, is a lovely, a lovely film that, that it is to use that modern phrase. It is such a vibe. If you watch it, it is such a mood piece about. It's so reflective and meditative and contemplative, but basically it also like under 90 minutes, absolute joy. It's got John Cho in it from Harold and Kumar. Yeah. Um, just to give you the basic premise, it's him and Haley Lou Richardson. It's set in uh, Columbus, Ohio, which so happens to have lots of modernist masterpieces of architecture, right? Okay. She works at the library there. She clearly should have gone to college and she should have gone and done her own thing, but she stayed behind because her mother wasn't very well and she's sort of hanging around in this town, but she doesn't mind it. She likes architecture, she does tours, she really enjoys yeah. it. John Cho, uh, his, he returns to, he flies out to uh, Columbus, Ohio, because his father is a respected architectural um, like lecturer, professor. His father has a heart attack and is in the hospital, so John Cho flies out there and is sort of stuck there for like a week, waiting on his father's Health condition, he meets Haley Richardson. They sort of have this meet cute, but it's important to say, it's not a romantic film at all, which I really love. They have a very platonic relationship in it. And anyway, it's like they platonically fall for each other. It's it's, it's wonderful, uh, that's but they I have, guess. you know, they've- kept, they, What they, years did it come out? 2017 uh, in the States, 2018, it took 18 months for it to come out over here. Oh, really? Um, awesome. But it is filmed so beautifully and it's so calm. I, I really, really love it. And more people need to see that film Koganada just had a new film out called uh, After Yang, Colin Farrell, which I need to see. Uh, yeah. But he, Koganada, that was his first film, and he basically made, before that made video essays for the BFI and the Criterion Collection. Oh, He'd, cool. Lovely film. Just I'm sold. Go check it out. This next one is from... Oh. This next one is from Alva, who says, Hello, James and George. Hey, Alva. Hope you are well. You well? I'm okay, yeah. My name is Alva. I'm from Uppsala in Sweden. Yep, Uppsala, I hope I've yeah. said that right. And I discovered your podcast earlier this year. Where, you may ask? Well, a little birdie told me about nice. it, of course. <laughs> this podcast quickly became a favorite and something I look forward to every week. Oh, I've listened through all the episodes and I've been recommending it to anyone who will Gold listen. Gold star yes. to you, Alva. welcome. You, you can rise doing through, the Lord's through work. our Scientology <laughs> yeah. pyramid and, and you can glow with us at the top. <laughs> uh, I have a great love for film, but I was reminded while listening to your podcast today that I do have quite a large gap in my film knowledge due to never having seen any of the Bond films, right. to the great disappointment of my father. <laughs> Just feel- that sounded very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Son, the, don't even speak to me. It's brackets to the great disappointment <laughs> of my father. Like, like, like he's at the top of the stairs. Like say, like, you have shamed me, yeah. I like to think you come home with like your chess first place thing. he's like smacks it out of your eyes. Cause you <laughs> haven't seen the world you is not enough. haven't seen Never Say Never Again. <laughs> Well, is that a Bond film, technically? Because that's the one made outside of, you know... Uh, you, you know yeah, online, you can, yeah. technically, sure. Yeah. It anyway. feels like such a great endeavour to watch them all that I feel quite overwhelmed whenever I try to approach them. Some people have told me that I shouldn't watch some of them while others say it is necessary to see every single one to get the full picture and experience. I just don't know where to start, and I'm looking to you to help me out. All the love. Alva. Alva, look, don't worry, buddy. You don't need to watch them all. I've you never definitely seen them. definitely you don't need definitely to watch them all. definitely do not need to go watch them all. There are far more important, more worthwhile films in the canon of film history that you can delve into. I've not seen all the Bond films. I don't think I've even seen any of the old ones. I really. love James Bond. Some of them are really slow. Yeah, and some of them are not that good. I think if I was to talk about, I'm going to say outside of Daniel Craig's, just because I feel like yeah. everyone knows about Daniel yeah. Craig's. Ones. Just like a hot five off the top of my head. Goldfinger. Yeah, right. I'm going to say on Her Majesty's Secret Service. The one I haven't seen, but that's the one that everyone says is really good. It's different. And then I will say, I want to say Dr. No, even though it's really old. Really, the first one, okay. And then what? Live and let done of the, the What's the Face ones. Uh, definitely Goldeneye. That's my favourite. Oh yeah, Goldeneye. Goldeneye is so early noughties, yeah, like but, the fake hacking yeah, and the yeah, digital yeah. beep boop beep. And also the, but the that great sequence at the beginning with the dam where he does the yeah. of jump. That guy went to school with my dad. Oh yeah, I, I think We talked about it last yeah. year. No time he used to, to be, He's a stunt guy. And apparently, yeah. he used to always like jump off stuff. Yeah. So I, I think all, <laughs> all, with the, all with the exception of. Die Another Day, I think the three yeah. first Brosnan films are pretty solid. You know what, I remember The World Is Not Enough. What's his other one, which is um, Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never, never Dies? Day I don't yeah. think, I've definitely seen it, but With I don't a, remember it at it's all. It's got um, your guy, it's got your, um, oh God, great. Okay, come on, oh God, I'm having a mind like I never have a mind. Jonathan Price is uh, basically Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, no, I got it. I'm, I'm just Michelle thinking Ye-o. of like what Roger Moore was because there are some good Roger Moore ones, but uh-huh. he's also got some really silly ones. Living That Dies good fun. Oh, yeah, I remember good. enjoying The Spy Who Loved Me. There you go. I guess I don't really have an answer. I would say I would say you know why don't you split the difference and just watch the Brosnan ones because that's kind of like old enough to be you've seen some of them and that are older, but you don't have to. You get you watch Goldfinger because it's famous. You watch yeah. On a Magic Secret Service because it's p- uh, prestigious and regarded well. And yeah. you watch Golden Eye and then Casino Royale because it's great. There you go. That's for Alva good. sorted. You can reconcile with your hopefully that helps. Now. <laughs> yeah. This next one is from John. Hey, lads. Hope you're well. Thank I you. have never been the biggest movie guy, but listening to the pod on the drive to work most days gets me more keen to watch a film that night. Keep nice. it up. That is what nice. you want to hear. Also, I really find it interesting that you're not that much of a movie guy, but you decided to listen to us. Like, I love I that. I love that. You're, it's a broad church. Everyone's welcome. Let but... us induct you and just yeah, rope you into in the movies. Oh, yeah. I love that. Uh, being from Oz, my question for you is, right. who is your favourite Aussie actor actress in their best role? Like the way you went, Fall, to went to and went straight <laughs> over the to sea the, to, to New, New Zealand. Zealand yeah. <laughs> Never really know. Uh, favourite Aussie oh, actor, George? Great. Great question, because there are so many. Mm. Uh, Joel Edgerton. That's my Marga favourite. Robbie, Hugo Weaving. Kate Blanchett. I mean, I know I'm just naming a few no, here. Yeah. I'm sorry. just trying to reel them all. <laughs> yeah. Hugh Jackman. Um, I would say or ben Mendelssohn. oh ben mendelson i think yeah. joel, joel edgerton i said before i think is uh i think is a little bit underrated he's he's the most solid like supporting actor you could bring onto your film oh, yeah he most adds- reliable always going to deliver you can put him in something really grounded like 13 lives and he's great or you can turn mm. him all the way up in great gatsby and he's also really good mm. i he's so good in that i'm just i think i had an answer for this one um Margot Robbie right now is probably sitting very close to the top of like the highest caliber A-list female actress right now, I think. You know what? i got one. You, you said Joel Edgerton, yeah. which is great. A male actor. Female actor, Tony Collette. Uh yeah, great, fabulous yeah. this next one but, but also, whatever you're doing there, guys, you're clearly doing something very good well with your, your something talent in the water yeah. <laughs> something in the water. Well, thank you very much, and uh, please uh, apologize to the sirens that are always flashing. I hope you haven't yes. like pulled over rapidly because yes. I do try to sort of warn people because I'm conscious that yes. people are driving, like sirens are James lives in the, the, <laughs> the vice capital of London. <laughs> yeah um, this next one is from Daniel who says, "Hey, pulky. Oh, P-U-L-K-I. Like I get it. Kids, got it. Well, I feel like when we get really big and kids like have a graffiti tag to show support, it'll be pulky. Yeah, because that's how big we're gonna get. And you won't be able to do pop kitchen because the cops will arrive. So you gotta, yeah. have, you gotta be quick. Pulky, shh, shh, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, Long time listener and multiple time caller. <laughs> With the Oscar buzz around Brendan Fraser, okay. please see below please see review, review for details. Uh, just wondering, which some of your favorite comebacks/slash career resurgence in the past, mm-hmm. and who would you like to see have a career resurgence in the future? Great question. I know my choice may not be popular, but I would love to see Shia LaBeouf have a career resurgence, especially with the general moviegoer. Watched his podcast with John Burnsell, and he really seems in a better place in his life. Keep up the great content. No pressure. I've also seen this podcast. Yeah, I did. John Burnsell's doing a podcast. Everyone's doing it, James. James, yeah. we've got competition. John Burnsell is a real like. Because he he has such a like masculine uh, typecast style, where he's like, really yep. butch and really gruff, but he's a real like emotionally yeah. uh, empathetic softy in real life. Yeah, good actor, and so. he, he's, he's very softy. Uh, incredible actor! He's like really softly mm. spoken, and he he's a, he seems like he's a great listener. Mm. And he's got his dogs w- and his farm. What would say about Charlotte Boeuf? Uh, I feel like Charlotte had his kind of like comeback, although I don't think he ever really went away. He had Honey Boy came out, which is a really have you seen Honey Boy? No, it's been on Really, my list really so long. Good, I saved on my iPad film that he wrote basically about his experiences with his father, who was abusive and overbearing, but not you know, abusive in a very it's a very specific tale about Hollywood and, and, and his father was like his chaperone in the way he looked after him. And he plays his father uh in it. Um Really, really good film. Shia LaBeouf is, is really good. But that, So that he had that, but after that, there have been, you know, there are things about Shia LaBeouf that have come to light, which are... Just sharing, I, you can tell he comes <sighs> from a yeah, sort of troubled upbringing. Yeah, and, uh, you you uh, know where he's really great I'm in, sure. on a completely more positive note? A film called Holes. Yes, which so I was like was, I ba- used to read ba- read the book. Like in, yeah, uh, I read in the book. year eight. It's, eight yes, it, yeah. it's like a child's book. Uh, it's the Disney film, like when he was doing the yeah. Even Stevens stuff. And he's just great in that. Yeah, you yeah. can tell that's a star. Oh, he brings it when he wants it. Just to move on to... Comebacks I'd like to see. Okay, I thought about this, right? Yeah. I would like to have Matthew Broderick have yeah. a yeah, big yeah. comeback. Right? So I think we kind of mentioned this before. Like Matthew Broderick, obviously, yeah, Ferris Bueller, charming, great, had his had his moment. Then he had his years of being a leading guy, and and in recent years he's become this very quiet, mild uh, character who's just almost not even on screen anymore he's just living in new york he's been in a couple of theater things and every so often he'll be like have a five minute part in a in a kenneth lonergan film so do you remember in like manchester by the sea where he turns up for that one scene like matthew broderick Broderick? yeah (laughs) i would love to see uh, matthew broderick really have a comeback and be put into a different kind of role i I really think he he could do it um and but i love it also when you've kind of transcended genre so when we're talking about brendan fraser yeah because he comes from a genre of the Mummy and George in the Jungle, which yeah. is camp and big and s- swing, and you have got to do heavy drama. And Matthew Broderick comes from associating people's heads of being sort of like relief, kind of fun. He can still lead a lead a, uh, a film, but he's kind of, hey, what's going on hey, here? It's Matthew Broderick yeah. here. I just remember coming out of uh, Ticket to Paradise and being like, I wish George Clooney would do more, and I wish yeah. Julia Roberts would do more. Mm-hmm. And they asked, Julia Roberts once got asked, why is it you don't do any films anymore. And she was like, I get all these scripts and I never am interested in any of them which yeah. is such a sad thing to hear. But she's so great and I feel like she's just as like paradise the T- right <laughs> script to say yes <laughs> to <Not really, no, laughs> to go yeah. see it. I uh, would say, Oh, it's a shame that like the scripts aren't really there. And I saw this interesting video with um Speaking of like films not being what they used to, right? Yeah. Which is like something you could say about anything. But Matt Damon on his Hot Ones interview—I don't mm. know if you saw yes. it—was asked about, oh, you know, why is it films aren't made yes. like they used to? And he made this very wrong statement is that back in the day, you used to make a film and it had its window to come out in box office, and then you got this entire second win in a second market, which was the DVD yes. market, yeah, and yeah, that's where you get films point, like yeah. Good Will Hunting. And which he probably knows because he like literally yeah. tries to get films produced. And he was like, that market has completely disappeared. So you just have this one big impact yeah. in the cinema to make your films, and that is why the films that we get now are so different yeah. and why like the rom-com is dying and why certain things yeah. like that are just sort of not happening um, which that- is such a good point it's also when he made that point, I've seen that. And I was like, "Oh my god, it's so obvious." So obvious. There's no money anymore, that. like yeah. in getting a DVD. Like, I used to, we used to buy DVDs all the time as a family, like before going on holiday. We'd yeah. get DVDs, like just like for Christmas, you get a DVD. I don't, don't I don't miss DVDs because CDs quota. are a terrible format, storage format. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really boring thing to say, but is. like of all like like from cassettes, tapes, VHS, drives, like CDs are really and like they, bad for the they age badly. They scratch. Yeah. The, anyway, oh, <laughs> if you remember getting like a, a DVD from like Blockbuster? You put it on, and it would be like the opening scene. Would be like, uh, Hi, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> and then it would skip to like, the final scene in the movie and then it would just cut out. And you just think, what is that DVD scene? Yeah, where has where that be left? Like, yeah. what dog had its way with that DVD? Uh, um, but yeah, I guess it's not necessarily which actor wants to have a comeback sometimes, but whether or not they want to come back. Oh, very good. Very good, James. And on that note, Thank you very much for writing in. We will come back. We will will come back. Um, As always, please send in your questions, your thoughts, and concerns. We love to hear them to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. And we will do our best to read them out on the show. Yeah. Okay, George, as always, we come to the end of part one of our. London Film Festival review-a-thon. Yeah. Well done for nearly forgetting yeah. we <laughs> <just> <laughs> forget <laughs> forget what we've for. just done. Yeah. <laughs> As always, we end Pulp Kitchen with a game. Today's game is guess the film based on the character. I'm going to read you a list of film characters sure. and you have to quickfire tell me what film they belong to. George, are you ready? I'm ready. You have to guess the film based on its character. Ready? Three, two, one. Bill the Butcher. Uh, 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 Gangster New York. Hal 9000. Um, 2001. Syndrome. That is The Incredibles. Hans Gruber. Die Hard. Ron Burgundy. Anchorman. John Hammond. Uh, Jurassic Park. Yep. Lieutenant Dan. Uh, Forrest Gump. The Bride. Kill Bill. Nurse Ratchet. One for the Cookies Nest. Ki Adi Mundi. <laughs> uh, like Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. I accept Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, He's a okay. of okay. the Jedi Council. There you go. That's the game. one. That nice it? Nice and uh, quick. Easy, 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 easy James. James. Fine, I got every single one. You got every single one. Well done. Uh, Syndrome was one. Didn't I was like, let's a just sweat. go left field with... <laughs> Let's put a feeling out there and see if he gets it. Uh, But there you go. I'd like to hear if you got them yourself. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. As always, you know, we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. And guys, check us out. Uh, we've got other stuff coming out on the channel every throughout the week, and we've mm. got Instagram, we've got TikTok. Give us not just not only like the things you see, but also follow us as well, so you can. There's keep something funny. Touch. Share it with your friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely share it. Spread the word. Spread the love, please. We really appreciate it, and we just appreciate your emails coming in as well. It's great to have the support. It's great to hear from you guys. Um, next week, as we've said, yep. we've got those three films coming out, big films to talk about. So stay tuned for part two. That's it, right? Yeah. See you next week. See ya.